This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Ryan with Qualtrics, Ryan Smith specifically, co-founded Qualtrics back in 2002 with the goal of making sophisticated research simple. He was named to Fortune's 2016 40 Under 40, a list of the most powerful, influential, and successful young people in business, and was also listed as one of Forbes, America's most promising CEOs under 35 in 2013. He's a graduate of Brigham Young University and is a frequent guest lecturer there, among many other places. Ryan, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's go. I'm just going to cut right to the chase here because a lot of people, I think, are probably familiar with your story. Uh, you had a $500 million offer uh, a few years ago, and you, you're 33 years old. What's going through your head, and, and how do you rationally convince yourself to say no to that offer in the moment? Yeah, I think, I think this is an interesting point where people don't probably understand um, what drives them on, on one angle and also how long they're going to work for and I was pretty clear that I knew that I'm going to work till I'm 80 years old. And so if you actually think about what you would do if you sold your company, and mind you, it's my dad, my brother, and myself, and it, you know, it's like grab your coat and go home. It was that kind of an offer. Um, I, think, I think you really got to say, hey, what am I going to go do next? And I remember getting in a car with my wife and driving you know, on a four-hour drive. We got about 30 minutes, and she's like, Ryan, I don't need you around the house more. Uh, <laughs> This isn't going to do you any good. And by the way, like the path of least resistance is to go build Qualtrics. And so, you know, obviously we were pretty bullish on it becoming a, a multi-billion dollar platform. And I think we were right. Yep. All right. Give us the back. So for people that don't know your product set, what do you do and what's your general business model? How do you make money? Yeah, we, we have an experience management platform and we view that everything and where the world's going is around the experience economy. We care about experiences. We, we behave with experiences in mind, our habits around experiences. But companies historically are really bad at understanding experiences, not um, from their employees, from their customers and the market. So a lot of times they'll be surprised when an employee leaves and they don't understand you know, the experience gap. They thought they were providing something to the employee, but they weren't. Or when the customers leave, everyone was trying to create a good experience. So we've created a platform where people can actually listen to their customers and their employees in the market in real time and have all that data being managed um, in one one location. And that's uh, the, the experience management platform. We believe every organization, and we're seeing it, is going to have uh, an experience management platform the same way they have a CRM. And um, it's a different kind of data. It's a new data. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's data that they're creating on their own, not data that they're just getting sent to them, which is pretty cool. And are you, in terms of uh, business model-wise, pure SaaS play today or no? Yeah, pure SaaS. We, we have been pretty much since the beginning. Even back is, in 2002. Which is, which is crazy. I mean, we had servers going in the basement. <laughs> we were really early, probably too early to the cloud. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, I remember all the nightmares with that. So give us some of that backstory there. So by the way, coming up, I want to talk more about a new product you released, the XM platform. Uh, You've been pretty public about, hey, we just raised capital. We're thinking about going public. We'll talk about that later. But take us back and give us some of the backstory here. 2002, your dad's at Brigham Young. You have obviously family involved. Why did you launch the company? We we had this goal of being able to collect data online and and run real time analytics on it and it was it was interesting it was a time where no one was interested in doing this um, I specifically remember the only people that would listen were our academic market so we started only targeting academics which is a horrible business model because they have no money they're extremely demanding and they can sit in and and play with your product all day long with nowhere to go and you know what was great was we. We catered to them, and we ended up building an enterprise-level platform with thousands and thousands of features and functionality, um, which cascaded um, as people graduated college right into the enterprise. And enterprise folks started to say, hey, wait a minute. Um, I can actually understand what our customers want. I don't need to guess anymore, and I can get it in real time. And you know, we wake up in 2011 after a bunch of hard work with you know, 2012 with 160,000 net promoter studies or NPS studies running on Qualtrics and people being able to metric and, and kind of power their business of experienced data. We work really hard to get operational data, which is our financial data and other data, but we're, we're most surprised with our experienced data, which is kind of what we don't know. And, you know, only the last couple of years has technology been in a spot that we can go gather this data and make heads and tails of it. Mm -hmm. Before we dive kind of more into those first 10 years, you mentioned kind of enterprise customer. Put a number on that if you could for me. So like, what would you say the average customer pays you guys annually? Yeah, so our our range, I mean, we have have different groups. Um, You know, we have enterprise businesses just like everyone else where the numbers look great. I think probably some of the most impressive numbers are, you know, we've gone from, you know, just a handful of, you know, what I would call six, seven figure deals to, you know, you know, thousands and thousands of percent growth in that area. Uh, we have about 9,000. What do you mean by that though, Ryan? Like expansion revenue on those same customers or just more people joining the seven no, figure? No, I think if you just look at our deal size, it actually looks like Salesforce, right? Where, you know, I think, you know, between 2002 to 2000 and, you know, 14, like you count the number of six and seven figure deals on one hand. And now we're, we're, we're closing more a year than all the prior years combined. But I think if you look, what's, what excites us is we've got, you know, almost 9,000 brands that are on Qualtrics that range anywhere from 12. Are those or customers, Ryan, paying customers? Yeah, paying customers. And these are brands. These are, I mean, we have a lot more customers in the brands. But they, you know, if you look at, if you look at 9,000, then you look at, you know, they're, they're paying anywhere from 12,000 all the way up to, you know, five, six million dollars. Um, it, it's a pretty cool business. And, it, you know, everywhere, everyone's somewhere along that journey of experience data. And um, there's definitely a trend uh, around experience. So it's pretty cool. And will you, do you think here in 2017, you'll break that $250 million ARR mark? Um, I think we already have. You <laughs> Good. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I asked that question very specifically. What I found is if I underestimate a little, a founder feels much more comfortable going, we just broke that versus. <laughs> we're, we're good. That's in the rearview mirror. Man. Are, are, so what is, what would be like a stretch goal for you guys? We're close to finishing out 2017. So, so, so look, we don't, we don't get too heavily. I mean, what's, what's, um, what's been published out there is that we'll do well north of 250 million in revenue this year. Yep. And so ARRs are obviously, you know, depending on how you're doing it, um, how you're booking it, it's probably bigger than that. But if you look at, if you look at that from our standpoint, I think we're at a, 
we're, we're in a really good spot. I mean, I think, you know, what's crazy is we're stopped, we've stopped compared ourselves to, to private companies and we're preparing ourselves, we're comparing ourselves directly with public companies because we're as big, a lot of the public companies that are going out and you can say, well, that company did this, this is how they did that quarter. This was the, the reaction. And that's kind of a cool spot to be in. Um, we're, we're definitely at scale. Yep. And yep. I, that's um that's pretty good it's fascinating to kind of be chatting with you now when we were just you know obviously chatting and scheduled to chat more with matt at automatic so he just raised obviously a round of funding in the in the hundreds of millions and his answer was we're doing that not to accelerate going public but so that we never have to go public you've taken the very opposite approach at least publicly in the interviews you've given which is we raised capital and we're going to go public because we think we can be significantly more valuable and, and we're going to create and make a lot of people wealthy walk me through that thinking yeah, I don't know that it's all around economics as a reason to go public because that's pretty shallow. I think that um, as we look at where the opportunity is for Qualtrics, I mean, I, I feel a little bit kind of like, hey, in 2002, we were working on something that's at the forefront of you know, all data today. I mean, that's pretty lucky. I mean, you, you, we think we're really smart entrepreneurs, all of us, but we're also pretty fortunate to be kind of creating at this time. And if I look forward and say, hey, why, why do we think we need to be a public company? And its reality is, is, you know, we think we're building the next workday, the next Salesforce. Um, and it's, it's a lot easier to do, um, at some level to reach the potential of the opportunity in the public market. Very few people have done it without going there. Let's just put it that way. Um, and you know, you know, we've, we've defied a lot of gravity. I think that's one that's going to be really hard to defy. And by the way, we've been private for 15 years. I'm pretty, I'm pretty well versed in what that looks like. And, um, you know, that's longer than a lot of, a lot of people. So, uh, you know, a lot of people say they never go public, but they end up doing it. And yep. so, um, it's a good time. I'm not smart enough to time the market and figure out when that is. Um, nor are we building a company that are really come on, Ryan. There's a half smile breaking out as you say that. I mean, look at MuleSoft, right? They do a huge round 10 months before they file. You were April. I think it was, what was it? 160, 180 to bring total of 300 million. So you're so you're filing January first, twenty eighteen, right? <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but uh, they. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, I think great companies can do a pretty big pre-IPO round, and the good ones have done it. Lassian did it, uh, MuleSoft did it, and, and you're able to offer secondary to employees, let a little a bit of air out of the bubble, and say, hey, you know, let's regroup and let's. Did go you do that a little bit in the last round? Some of it was yeah, secondary. For sure. for sure. I mean, look, no one's there, there hasn't been an IPO like what Qualtrics would be in the state of Utah or, or most of our employees haven't gone through that. And I think that there's way too much pr- pressure built in the system and, you know, kind of with an economic um, makeup that we have at Qualtrics where we're cash flow pro- positive. We've always been, it was really nice to be able to say, Hey, um, here's an opportunity to have some liquidity and, you know, kind of get acclimated a little bit to what life is going to be like for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Your last funding round, it was actually a reported valuation was around two point five billion. Is that is that generally accurate? Are you comfortable confirming that? Yeah, that's okay. That's- Does it? I think I know what your answer is here, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You know, one of the things about a, a big round of funding before IPOing is day one. You hope and pray the public markets freaking understand your business because the last thing you want to do is have a market cap under that valuation. Does that make you nervous? And if not, how do you manage it? Not really. I mean, you never know what the markets are going to do. Um, I think that it's been it's been interesting to to watch companies. I have friends who, you know, called me on Wednesday of the roadshow. They're going out on Thursday and they don't think they're going to get above their their valuation. And then on Friday, it's double what they thought. 
And then a week later, it's even bigger than that. And I was like, whoa, here you are in the roadshow. You're the CEO and you were only 60% off. Right, sixty in the roadshow, sixty percent off. Sixty percent off. What was going to happen a week later? And, and everyone's trying to say this is what we're worth. I was like, you have no idea. I think. Look, we 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 could have raised it a lot more than that, um, it, which any great company can if they want to optimize for that. We've never optimized for economics. Two point five was as high as we were going to go, no matter what it was. We were much more focused on um, what the makeup, the terms, the secondary, and who we had in the tent with us. And um, we've always done that. I mean, in our Series A, we raised you know seventy million dollars. We took we left a hundred million extra valuation on the table from a credible party because we care about you know who we're going to battle with. And I think that's that's what we've always done. And I think that I'm one of the only founders I know. Maybe there's a couple more I think, but they can really look back after three rounds and say, hey, I have zero regrets. Um, typically, you only think you're going to raise one round, or you're going to raise in the way, or the preferences aren't right. Um, we feel great and I feel great. I wouldn't go back to change the thing. As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, guys hear it. I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've got to do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool. I'm using it pretty aggressively. It's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and And boy, oh boy, are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at GetSignEasy.com forward slash podcast. What flipped the scales for you back in 2012? Well, first off, 2002 to 2012. 2012, what was total revenue? Uh, oh, wow. That's close. Uh, I, I think we were, we were, we were approaching close to a $50 million run rate. Yeah. And I, this is, was I, my research team dug this up, but 50 million top line, I think is 30 million profit. I mean, does yeah, that sound accurate? We were, you know, that's not exactly right, but you know, very profitable. Uh, we, we, we were extremely profitable and that that's what took us so long. I mean, the economics didn't work from founders saying, Hey, look, Hey, here's $70 million is a, is a series a, but by the way, I mean, that's, that would, that would have been like where we were going at the time. Um, it really wasn't a great economic equation. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that is, but um, in our situation where you've already put in the hard work and I, you know, make running a profitable business is tough. Um, but we also had that offer sitting there and if we were going to turn down that offer, you're talking about the $500 million offer yeah, at yeah. the same time, we had to say, Hey, look, okay. Do we really believe? And I mean, put money on the table. Do you believe that you're working on something that is a, is a multi multi-billion dollar platform and, you really have to do it. Everyone talks about that, but when you've got to put your money where your mouth is and really bet, that's that's where it hits the road. And we all locked arms and said, absolutely, what we see is working. And by the way, we're going to need to go double down and put that cash back in the business and invest everything in the business. And that's what we've done. And so if you look at the history of Qualtrics, we ran probably one of the more pros- profitable businesses that we've ever seen. And, and we're still cash flow positive as we move forward. But we went and we changed the model where we were investing everything back into hypergrowth. And, yep. and mind you, I mean, it's a different time. We operated it with 100% growth and being profitable to, through 2006, 7, 8, and 9. Tough. Those are brutal years. Tough. 
tough. Yep. Let me go back real quick. I don't want to ask you every one of these numbers, but I do want to get a sense of growth. And if, if I'm way off here, tell me. So 2012, we just talked about the revenue, about 2,800 customers, 200 employees. Yeah, your, your recollections is good as, as good. Ish. Okay. I'm going to pull it forward. 2014, two years later, about 6,000 customers, 550 employees, doubling. Yeah. Sounds right. Okay. And then today, obviously, you just told us 9,000 customers and well north of 250 million. So healthy growth there. Let me ask you, how effective was it? Because a lot of founders go through this. I don't know why more people don't do it, but it's it can be very effective to use a hard LOI in terms of someone wanting to buy you for 500 million, using that as significant leverage against a VC wanting to invest to make sure you minimize dilution and keep your, you know, your employees that have equity, like not as diluted and basically create competition there. How were you able to effectively do that? Would you recommend that as a strategy. I mean, look, when someone rolls into the Valley in 2011 with a pretty high run rate kicking off that kind of cash, you don't need leverage, right? I mean, we, we, we didn't even really meet when we had seven term sheets and an offer to sell the company. It, we're at a different time now, so I think it's hard to compare. Um, for some people, I think that's a great strategy, but ultimately, these are your partners. I mean, you want to choose people you want to go to battle with and who care about the business as much as you do. And I really think that's what is missing from a lot of the VC and tech company relationships is they just don't treat it as an extension of the team and the partner and get the whole weight of the firm behind it. And I think if you did that, I think you would have probably a lot more um, success or a, a little bit more of a better relationship where, you know, it's not an us versus them. That, that's a really weird thing. You, you know, you're starting a company to be an entrepreneur. You're going to write your own story. And then you're signing up for a relationship where it's an us versus them. And basically, you do have a boss if you're not structuring it right, where actually you want a partner. And that's when you look back and you say, hey, well, what an amazing ride. And I, I feel like I truly have that with my board, my VCs, and, and because of maybe some of the, the leverage, if you want to call it, or actually just what we were looking for when we started. Yep. Let's talk real quick product for a couple of minutes before we wrap up. So what is the XM platform and how do you see your roadmap going more towards kind of Salesforce workday space? Yeah. So if I think you think about it historically, if you go into an organization, you've got one product, if they're even doing anything to handle their MPS and understand all of their customers and close the loop and, and mine all the text to say, hey, look, while we're sleeping, we're providing an experience. Is it going well? You, you don't need to look further than the airlines or other things like that, where we believe that, especially as we're seeing with Amazon and other companies, all we're going to be competing on in the future likely is going to be experience, the experience someone has, because we all have smart developers and a lot of money right now, right? So it's the experience that's going to separate it. But we're not good at listening to that. So that's one key of the platform is around the customer experience. The next key is around the employee experience. You know, if I look at every CEO, every CEO you interview, half the time they're spending is basically on the internal side of their employee and recruiting, and it's getting very, very difficult. They don't understand why they're winning or losing, and there's a gap. There's a gap on both sides. Historically, those have been two separate platforms, where in, in, in no one's really happy with one or the other. And we said, hey, wait a minute. You could actually combine those onto one platform, and now we can start looking if someone has an interaction as an employee, how are they driving um, an outcome for the customer? Or wait, all these customers are having bad experience. Well, it's with one team and their employee engagement isn't up there. And so for the first time ever, this is all in one platform. And then you're able to use Qualtrics for all the other um, ad hoc 
you know, gathering website feedback and we power all the feedback for healthcare.gov and, you know, you know, thousands that, of brands. That was a fun project, I bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, but it, 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 they had all the data of what was going on. They just didn't know why. And for the first time ever, we can collect all that. And then we can start, you know, inputting that with operational data of when someone booked and why, and you get a full picture. And the greatest part about it is this isn't some big data initiative that people can't do and they can't come out the other side. We're watching brands be extremely successful in a short amount of time. And they just don't have to guess anymore. And that's that's kind of something that was only a dream and what we started in 2002 to work on was this idea that, you know, guessing guessing doesn't work. When you look at your roadmap, again, XM obviously came out earlier this year. And, and I'm going to ask you kind of a black and white question that probably doesn't have a black and white answer. If you had to focus more on expanding the wallet share across the current base versus getting into new markets completely, where are you trending to focus right now? We want it all. <laughs> spoken uh, like, spoken it, like a true capitalist. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's more of we're seeing the need where we want to go deeper within our customers. And I think we've proven, I mean, we've got some of the, uh, we got phenomenal expansion within our customers, phenomenal renewal rate where they're coming back. Well, what is, what is the renewal rate? I mean, we, we always focus, I mean, world class, you know, if we can get 90% with an expansion of 120, 130 within our customer base. And now a lot of people will say, 120 well, net or gross? Uh, net. Yeah. So, so if we can go, if we can go one, um, I mean, this is where it's different. I mean, it, it's like SAS metrics, right? I was sitting on a panel where there's nine different SaaS metrics, but we look at our business very real. Like what business do we want to own, right? What do we want to have our customers expanding and what do we need to do to get our customers to love us? You know, it's not just about numbers and metrics. It's about, Hey, if they love us and we're providing the experience, they're going to, they're going to want to come back. And so I think, I think we're looking at that, but a lot of people are like, Oh, what's my enterprise expansion for our small and medium business? It doesn't matter. What's your overall expansion? You're not you're not trying to paint a pretty picture here because that's not going to help you as a business owner. Yep. And so we're constantly looking at that. It, but but we're also looking at new markets. I mean, we just we just launched an incredible K through twelve team who's looking at student experience and the in the in the experience that parents are having. And you know, we're watching. What, what does that mean? These universe these these schools will buy software to manage the parent and kid experience. One hundred percent. I mean, yeah. here's a great story. I got an email from a from a uh, elementary school where um, they had text messaging with Qualtrics all over the school saying, if you run into anything around bullying, text here, survey question comes back to them and says, what are you seeing? Some kids were throwing peanuts into water of a kid with peanut allergies. Yeah. So the school said, hey, you guys almost saved a life today. Someone texted that this was going on. The kid with peanut allergies was going to drink his water and the kid saved it and they reported it and someone came in. Right. So they, they haven't been able to have that real time experience data within a school or parents haven't been able to. Or what part of the school are kids feeling? Do they not feel safe? They've never been able to do that at scale. And now it's all available. And we're applying that to every industry. And that's when you say, hey, do you want to go into different verticals and in industry? Yes, we do. And we're seeing it. And the cool thing is that school was able to implement that with like no support. And just be able to go, which was awesome. That's great. Um, and we're going to wrap up here with the famous five in a second. You, uh, based off what your answer so far, you care. It sounds like not so much about economic like payback period, it, especially considering what you've raised. You don't really have a cash problem. But are you? Do you try and optimize for some of these things or no? Well, we're trying to build a healthy business. I mean, we open What's up. What's healthy? Would you say payback period wise? Um, 
It depends on the market. I mean, like when we look at international, you know, we're looking at, hey, magic number. When do we when do we want it to equal one? Right. And, you know, depending on the market, um, one year know, payback period, one year, two years, three years, depending on how big we're going. Yep. Right. And then we reevaluate we we evaluate constantly. Hey, do we want to keep going? Do we want to keep doubling down? A lot of it depends on the overall pocket of our business. I look at everything as bets. You know, what big bets are we making? When you're putting your finger in the air for a new bet and you're trying to figure out what a customer might pay you over their life for this new XM platform or a bet, how do you keep yourself rational there? Because you have healthy, all the economics are healthy. You could convince yourself a user's worth $100 million, right? But how do you stay rational? I really don't think about it that way. I don't think um, I'm a person that gets really excited about my own business in the way that I see a lot of entrepreneurs. They're, they're just so excited about their own business. I think that's a that's a blind spot. I think you need to be really you need to really understand what's the value that the customer is getting. And if they're getting value, then you'll figure out the economics. I mean, look at look at our story. We started with the worst economically driven customer base that you could in academics, but we have every single major university in the world on Qualtrics. And the, and the value came when their students graduated and went to Expedia or went to you know Heineken and bought 60 and 70 and $80,000 license. No one predicted predicted that. And Ryan, was that accident on your end or did you guys know that as a channel? We had this, we had this hope, but what yeah. we knew is if we provided a good experience and a great piece of software that they could actually do their jobs and help them work better, then it would all take care of themselves. And yeah. you got to play the long game. Where it gets hard is when someone's got a, a timer on your back saying, okay, you have 90 days to go or you have two years to go get me a payback on the software. Every bet we've ever made at Qualtrics has taken longer than we thought. Yep. Ryan, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, probably Clayton Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Oh, too many to count. I'm so impressed with how many great CEOs we have out there. Give me I a unique that. one. Yeah, I think, I think what Satya is doing at Microsoft is probably as transformative than anything. Um, you know, Shantanu over at Adobe, I think that's been a phenomenal story and, and kind of the way that they've scaled and they've executed on the enterprise side. But what's what's crazy about what's happening in tech is you're watching for the first time ever the biggest companies execute better than the smaller companies in a lot of different ways with Amazon and everything else where we haven't seen this kind of juice since probably the, the Microsoft heyday where you have Facebook, Google, Apple, um, Amazon executing at a level that you know typically those that's when you would become slower and you wouldn't get things done. Salesforce is included in that. Um, it's really inspiring to watch how people are, you know, making the elephant dance all the time at scale, right? And that's that's something we've never we haven't seen for a while. That's a book. After the after the IPO happens, Ryan's releasing a book called "Making the Elephant Dance." I can see it. Okay, there is one. All right. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. Uh, number three. Besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Something to use to run your business? Um. Look, I love Slack. I love. Um, I love Evernote, actually, surprisingly. Like, it's it's great. I think it's a great, I love what Chris is doing over there. I think it's a great, it's a great product and anything that makes me more productive. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you eat every night? Oh, my word. I've got five children in there. Someone's always sick, but um, not very much. I don't sleep very well, but it's good. What it's would you say? I mean, what would you say? Four, five, six? Yeah, five, five, five would be. I function really well off five. All right, five. So, married, five kids, and, and Ryan, how old are you? I'm 38. All right. Last question. Uh, Actually, I turned 39. Sorry. I lost. I stopped. Yeah. Dude, nice. 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 Last question. Uh, name one reason you wouldn't go public. 
That's a good, that's a good question. One reason why we wouldn't go public, just distraction. Yeah. Yep. There you guys have it. Ryan started all back in 2002. It is a definitely a family affair. His, uh, his father was obviously in the system at Brigham Young. He understood how it worked. They grew to about 50 million in revenue by 2012 with healthy, healthy profits have since scaled to well over 9,000 customers, helping them manage experiences, both with employees and with customers, uh, over, uh, again, 9,000 customers today, potentially look at it at going public. We'll see what happens. Ryan, thank you so much for taking us to the top. No problem. Thanks.